This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. of what is impacting the veterinary world, veterinarians, and all animal care professionals as humans. We are your co-hosts. I'm Dr. Jen. And I'm Dr. Jason Chatfield. If you are not yet a Vet Candy subscriber, why not? Please subscribe for free today at myvetcandy.com. You can also reach us at jen at myvetcandy.com. And for all your positive comments at jason at myvetcandy.com. Okay, so our incredible topic today is one of my least favorite things in practice. Not least favorite, but the scariest, which is surgery. In other news, all vets can become good surgeons. What? Yes, I promise you that's the truth. That's the truth? Well, I can tell you this. Even though I'm the queen of the 45-minute spay, I am the queen of the... Eight minutes, puppies out, C-section. <laughs> See? We all got to have a roll. Good job. That's right. And then it doesn't take me very long to close those up either because I'm a pretty good sewer. <laughs> is that all it takes to be a good surgeon is to be a good sewer? That's right. That's is that right. a word? No, of course I'm not. even not. sure that's a word. No, no, no. You better consult so, someone who knows. I know. Let's get somebody in here who knows what they're talking about. We happen to have a very good friend, a resident of the Candyverse, and this year's Excellence in Journalism Award winner, Dr. Courtney Campbell. Dr. Courtney. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I am so happy to be uh, part of this podcast. I I cannot believe we're actually going to be talking about literally one of my favorite subjects in the world. So this is a huge, huge day. This is exciting. It is a huge day because did you hear Dr. Jason? I did not hear Dr. Jason. If you didn't, I will repeat. All vets can become good (laughs) surgeons. All vets. Is this true? Is this true, Courtney? Can all, vets, can all vets become good surgeons? There is no doubt in my mind that all of them can become good surgeons. I think that at the end of the day, though, that for some reason, it gives a lot of people anxiety and makes them a little nervous, and it shouldn't. Because at the end of the day, man, they often say, man, you could teach a monkey to do surgery. I say that's not true because... <laughs> I, I say that. <laughs> I, know, right? I would never, ever say that. I would, you, I would you not. Stole, you stole my life, Courtney. It's disparaging uh, to monkeys. No, I think at the end of the day, <laughs> the, the reality is... Wait, everybody, wait, on, Courtney. You, you went on. Did you say that sta- statement is not disparaging to surgeons, but disparaging to monkeys? No, 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 no. That's no. Funny. Wait a minute. The, the, the reality, I think I- I the reality is it. it's a technical skill. You're exactly yes. right. So the more you do it, the better you're going to become. And I think that is the key. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people say, hey, you know, I'm not really good at surgery. I don't really like it. It makes me nervous. And I say, hey, how often do you do it? Well, not very often. Well, that's the challenge there. You know, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to run hard unless you run hard. It's hard to, you know, exercise, uh, you yeah. know, strenuously unless you do it on a, on a daily basis. So I think that's the key right there. Consistency makes you good. And well, also making I, friends like you. Yes. <laughs> so we can that's always phone a friend. That's it, man. You can't do crowdsourcing on those. You got you to phone a friend. And, and surprisingly, I know we're going to talk about some good stuff. You would not the be crowdsourcing. You, would not, you know, the reality is the, the reality of the situation is all those people just trying to do their best in terms of surgery. Uh, a lot of times they will be in the middle of surgery 
uh, and then you'll get the call, you know. And um, of course, wait, 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 you get the call. Yeah, you get the call. That, that's that's what I was exactly what I was talking about. Not starting a surgery without Courtney on the line. Hey, buddy, no. I'm about to go in, hang out for a little while. Yeah, you might listen. I'm sure you guys get calls too, but here's the thing. It's lovely because it's a collegial relationship. Everybody's trying to help everybody out, but you get that call right in the middle of surgery. You might be in the middle of something as well. They'll say, hey, doctor, you know, so-and-so's on the line. I'd love, you know, if you could jump on. I said, sure. Why don't we do this? I'll call them back as soon as I'm finished with this one procedure. They say, no, 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 no. They're in surgery right now. Right now. And so you got to jump on the line. And so I always say to everybody, if you're going to jump in a procedure, just make sure you read the procedure beforehand. And then, <laughs> then that way, yeah, but no, it's, it's fine. I always say is that. that wait, wait, Dr. Courtney, your advice to people is read about the procedure first. first. Yeah, it, yeah. Get the book first, get the phone second, but have them both ready just in and case. Cut third. I would say this. Third. <laughs> Listen, listen, and I don't even mean that in any kind of way, like any snarky way. If you are just not, let's say you haven't done that procedure in a million yeah. years and you just, yeah. oh man, it's been a decade. Don't be afraid to jump open and read a, you know, read the book. I do that all the time, even on procedures that I'm so familiar with because it just, you, you can envision things and it's just, yeah. it's wonderful when you read the procedure before jumping in. Okay. So I have a question. All right. I don't know if you want to share this or not. You could make up the story if you like. I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask you, like, you can either give us like, you, why don't you give us like a biggest, like most common surgical error that you see. And to give you time to think of what that might be, I'm going to give you a little example, you know, for a friend, for a friend. Okay. For a friend, of course. Yeah, it wasn't me. Yeah. It wasn't me. So I did a foreign body surgery. You did a foreign body? Or, or I thought you said this was for a friend. Oh, no. Well, okay. Actually, so my very first bloat, I don't even like to say the word like out loud because it might call it to me, but a GDV, so a gastric dilatation and volvulus for our listeners, which is where like in a big giant dog, the stomach flips over and blows up, right? Or just blows up. And uh, it's a big deal. It's why we talk about feeding deep chested dogs, you know, like people say, feed them elevated, don't let them eat a ton all at one time, real rapidly, yada, 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 or basically just get a prophylactic gastropexy, right? And I wish that this great Dane, who was like almost 200 pounds at eight months old or whatever he was, had gotten a prophylactic gastropexy because he showed up at my hospital. I had to cut him. First one I ever did. Couldn't phone anybody because it was three in the morning. Got the book out. Got the book out. Got the, Got book, the out. book out. That's the first step. That's the best step Six right there. Hours Wait. later. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's not normal. Friends, you you can't see Dr. Cordy's eyes just got really big around. He's trying not to judge right now. <laughs> not trying very hard. Six, six hours later, I was sitting across the room in a chair with my hands up in the air, still gloved, full of everything. The dog was open on the table, and I was thinking to myself, don't cry. Don't cry. <laughs> Don't cry. Yeah, six hours. It sounds like you might need a snack and a rehydration. <laughs> food. Yeah, I did not pack a lunch. Anyway, the reason I can share this story is, uh, A, it turned out good. Right? Dog survived. I figured out. I just had to take the spleen out. Gave me more room to figure out how to untangle the stomach that had gone through a weirdo situation with the omentum. Anyway, whatevs. And it turned out okay. But I would like to never face that again. Cause that was to me, that was like an error. Cause he was so long under anesthesia and all that. And so what about like, what do you see as like a common mistake or have you ever had something where you got yourself in a little over your head or anything like that? 
Oh, my, you know, those that's a double barrel question. I have I got that's how let's I like tackle to roll. the first let's tackle the first the, the second question first. Have I gotten in over my head? Oh, most definitely where you have um, evaluated a patient or you've looked at radiographs or you assume, you know, you always get in trouble when you assume. That's right. And and you just based upon your assessments, you think that this is the most appropriate action. And then when you start the surgery, you realize this is not what you thought at all. <laughs> and this is uh, Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Fortunately, the majority of those cases tend to be fracture cases where, let's say, uh, there are there are lines or fracture lines or fissures that you couldn't necessarily appreciate radiographically. Mm -hmm. But then once you get in there, it's a mess and it's really disastrous. <laughs> or let's say you're in an abdomen and you discover a um, a mass in there that, that wasn't found on ultrasound or something like that. I mean, things can get hairy quickly. And when it does... A bead of perspiration starts on your forehead. <laughs> your toes start curling. You get this sinking feeling in your stomach. It's yes. like, oh, please, somebody save me. Right. right. That's what we call you. Yeah. That's right. what the phone. Call Courtney. I want to save myself sometimes. It's wild. So I will say this. Has it, has it happened to the best of us? Of course. And I'm not including myself as the best of them, but I'm saying it happens to everybody. I will say that, you know, for people who get into these situations, six-hour GDBs and those types of surgeries, all I have to do is applaud you for your perseverance and the fact that everything turned out well. That's what I have to say about that. Any, you applauded any, you for your perseverance. Yeah, no, no, you stuck with it. You stuck with it, and that's what I you I didn't have any choice. His guts what were was out. The other, yeah, what was, what was the other choice? Close it up and go home? You know, I I have had that. We'll talk about that another time. But, you know, you do. Un <laughs> there is something that you two underscore about surgery. You are committed. And so once you start, you've got to finish. And it's something that I, don't know, right. I, I think it's a little bit underappreciated. Yeah. And that, I think, takes that courage that you that you sort of illustrated during that GDV. It takes courage to get in there and finish the job. So I applaud you. Now, you did ask about mistakes. And I yeah. Part of me was like, oh, man, are we going to start off on mistakes? Yes. But let's get those out of the way. Yes, right eat the frog. The eat the yeah, frog. So, I, you know, that's right. I technically like to eat my dessert first, but let's do this. Let's start off with the mistakes. And the first two I'll say right off the bat have to do with the submucosa. And the only reason they popped into my head primarily is because you had mentioned a GDB. So we'll say right off the bat, mistake number one yeah. is failure to grab submucosa when you're showing intestine. That is the holding layer of the intestine. Right. And when you're, uh, let's say you're not experienced in surgery or sort of uninitiated with surgery or closing the intestine, then you may tend not to grab the submucosa. And of course- Does that you know, mean I, you're just going too superficial with your bite? You need to go a little deeper? Yes. Yeah, so you, so for working from inside out, you have mucosa, submucosa, muscularis, and serosa. Yes. And so you're, when you're too superficial, you're just grabbing the outside layer of the serosa and the muscle, but you didn't get the holding layer of the intestine, which is the submucosa. Now, ideally, of course, you don't want the suture to go into the lumen of the intestine, but if it does, at least you know you grab submucosa and you've yeah. avoided something absolutely disastrous, which is leakage or dehiscence of your intestinal incision. So again, let's try to keep the suture out of the lumen, but if you can't, that's okay because you grabbed the submucosa. Yeah. That, that I'd say is so number one. Air on the side 
of going into the lumen. Yes, if you if okay. you if you can. Now, now I will say right off the bat, though, if you have a, a special type of suture, right, and we'll get a chance to talk about this, whether it's yeah. reverse cutting, cutting taper, all of those different types of needles. If you're using a taper, the taper will tell you. The taper hey, wait, will tell what? you. Yeah, wow. the taper talks Jason, to you. Ha have you ever found a? I have find no use for tapered needles. I, well, you? if I found one to talk, I would find a use for it for sure. 100%. Yeah, but I like, have yet to find that one. I don't even buy them because I'm like, whatever, reverse cutting. That's all I need in the cupboard. Uh, because have you ever tried to sew skin when uh, they give you a tapered needle? It's super annoying. Okay, but you're saying there's a reason to get tapered needle. Tell me what it is. Well, here's the deal. Now you said, hey, I don't find a reason to use tapered needles. And I'd say after this conversation, you may only get tapered needles. No, I'm <laughs> da, da, da. Wow. Okay, this better be some knowledge. Cool. You're setting yourself up here. This You're better gonna be rock my world, Dr. Campbell. Right? Okay. I tell you what, I tell you what. Okay, I, that's a little bit of an overstatement. You're definitely gonna need, your, you're gonna need your reverse cutting, but I'd say anything under the skin you can pretty much use a tapered needle. Now, here's why. Because the tapered needle will push the tissue away and it's less traumatic versus right. a cutting or a reverse cutting, which right. obviously cuts the tissue. And a right. lot of people, you know, which is interesting, may not know the difference between reverse cutting or cutting, but we'll talk about that later. But I'd say anything under the skin, mm -hmm. I, I would use a taper. Now, there are people when they're doing an intradermal or a subcutaneous, they will use a... Reverse cutting. They'll use a reverse cutting. And yes, I, I will. Say, I will say this. That's fine. That's completely fine. But I will. All, I tend to use a taper because it will, you just have to finesse the needle a little bit. But at the end of the day, here's what I want. Here's what I think it's important to know. You can use taper underneath the skin. For tough okay. tissue, skin, ligaments, cartilage, you will need some type of are, are you scared to say those things? You got to say that louder, man. I could, okay, I could already, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. It's, it's high, like a big secret. High Loud decibel levels. High decibel levels. Here we go. Everybody adjust your equalizers. Anything <laughs> under the skin, you can use a tapered needle. Anything that's tough, ligaments, cartilage, tendon. You that's can a taper? A cutting needle, okay? Oh, cutting. Yes. Thank goodness. So softer tissue taper. Now, What's the well? While we're on it, what's the difference between using a cutting and a reverse cutting needle? You guys are cool with that? Yeah. Okay. Cool tell us anyway. I don't know. I don't know the difference. I hope you're going to answer for your a friend. Question. Yeah. Oh no no, no no no! Listen, listen, because both of you, the one I want to talk a little bit about. Um, Here we go. What your experience in surgery, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Thanks, because Courtney. I know both of you are way more experienced than you're letting on, and I appreciate you feigning like you don't know. But I know you guys are <laughs> awesome surgeons. For the sake of conversation, you're pretending you don't know. I will say that reverse cutting and cutting, bottom line is this. The apex is different. So yeah. if you look at arrows, right, and you have an arrow pointing to the left or an arrow pointing to the right, a reverse cutting needle, the arrow would be pointing towards the needle. So the apex is pointing towards the needle. So that when the suture pulls, it's pulling on the flat part of the triangle. If it's a cutting needle, it's pulling towards the apex of the point of the triangle, which, yeah. of course, it's going to pull through. So Yeah, and that's less than ideal. Increases less the likelihood ideal. it's going to point. Pull yeah. Through. All yeah. right, listen, you... You guys delved off into all kinds of detailed stuff. I want to kind of back it up a little bit, okay? Is that all right? Can I, can I pull you guys out of the rabbit hole for a second? You mentioned something that, that I want to get into. So you said it takes <laughs> – you said – I'm not even listening. I'm just going to keep going. You said it takes courage, right? You, you got to have courage. You know, you applaud the courage. But, but guess who doesn't have 
courage, besides me. I'm going to go ahead and put that out there before you answer it. Besides me, when it comes to surgery, there's a group of students. I mean, they're not students anymore, but they were just students yesterday, right? They don't have courage uh, when it comes to, to surgery. I'm talking about new grads or, or people that maybe were out of practice for a while, like, like me. So what can you suggest to them? How can they get said courage or, or confidence uh, when it comes to surgery? Because it's a real it's a real problem. It's a real issue. Yeah. I don't know the exact technique that's going to work for everyone, but there is something that seemed to work for me. And this sounds super bizarre, but I would, when I was in junior surgery, I would read about the procedure. I would do the procedure. And then for some reason, I would go back and read about it again. And for some reason, that second time reading it after having done the procedure was the clincher. It just seemed to allow me to visualize what the heck I was doing. And that's part of the process is being able to visualize. So step one, to gain more confidence in surgery, read, read, read. Don't be afraid okay. to crack the book out. Like I said, I could be doing this for 25, 30, 40 years. I will still break the book out. I'll break a journal out and I'll try to, you know, and by then, you know, I know a lot of people listening are like books, man. We just watch, you know, videos, YouTube. We videos. watch the YouTube. Yeah, There's just, a we YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. What are you talking about books, man, old man? But the truth is I, I think. Boomer. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, videos are great too. Videos are great too, but yeah. you know, surgery is not a spectator sport. So you've got right. to really do it. So that's, I'd say, number one. Number two, don't be shy about practicing. Whether you are doing, uh, let's say, minimally invasive surgery like laparoscopy or arthroscopy, you can certainly do what we call pepper arthroscopy, where you're, uh, you know, you're sticking an arthroscope in a red pepper and trying to pull the seeds out or those sorts of things. Oh, I get it. I, get yeah, it. I so didn't know where you were going to go with that. That's, that's right. pretty cool. I love right, it. or you're suturing. I thought maybe surgery of- was spicier in Ventura. I didn't know. <laughs> like, what's Jala- happening jalapenos, here? Jalapenos, jalapenos. I love jalapenos. So yeah, so I would say that. Uh, don't the jalapeno to- business? <laughs> jalapeno business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, nacho cheese. So I would say that, that uh, don't be afraid to suture lettuce. Don't be afraid to suture pigs. Pigskin, leather. Well, a lot of people have access to pigskin or those sorts of things, but leather. And and you say, well, I don't. I feel like I'm going backwards. Like this is what we do did in junior surgery. Practice makes perfect. Don't. Yeah. We, of course, these materials do not have the same handling characteristics like actual animal skin, but it will certainly help your your fine motor skills. Mm-hmm. And then, what would I say would be the third thing to yeah. help people gain their confidence? Always see if you can have a great mentor. As far as see one, do one, teach one, if yeah. you're not comfortable for the sake of the patient, for the sake of your own anxiety levels, just say, hey, do you mind if I scrub in with you on this one? Even if you have to just take an hour out of your day or schedule it nicely, just make sure that you get a chance to mm-hmm. see how it's done, see tips and tricks, hand position, and their favorite things. If you can do those three things, read practice and find a good mentor, your success in surgery is going to be amazing. Yeah. So, I, I would agree with the last one for sure. Yeah. Okay, so not you know, the other two. Okay, no, no, no. So sorry. I did, that's what I sound like. I of course agree with the reading because, you know, I like to read or watch videos or whatever, but yeah, right. the, the big yeah. thing is to have somebody to, to, for lack of a better term, like we've been using, but in all honesty, call. Cause once you get in, right, you're going to have to get out. And sometimes it's things go wrong. So absolutely. But I think it makes a difference who your mentor is and how they mesh with you for something like surgery, because it is, it is very scary. 
the first uh, real like into a cavity surgery I did after graduation was like, uh, I don't know, a week out. And I was the only doctor on at an emergency practice because I somehow skated through an interview and they hired me. And uh, a big giant pio came in. Number one, I thought I was a rock star because I diagnosed the pio, like, because that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> that's not hard, right? <laughs> and um, my boss at the time, she became my mentor because she, when I called her, I said, hey, Swiss surgery came in. And of course, uh, we're still seeing patients. And she said, I'll come in and see patients. <laughs> doing the surgery. <laughs> and I said, what? I said, but you're not you going to do there. the surgery? She said, no, I am not. And she refused to come into the surgery room while I was there doing it. So what she would do is she would look through the window and she would talk to me through the door because she said, I'm not coming in there to do it for you or to help you. You can do it. And I had the book, somebody, the technician, I sucked up all her support staff, had a technician holding the book, I had another technician helping me. And then I had another one there just to tell me nice things, right? So <laughs> I could get through it. Just a confidence booster. Yes. yes. <laughs> but, it, but it was great because if she had come in there, I probably would have used a crutch even longer than I needed to. But she could only do that because she was confident that she could clean up whatever I might have messed right. up. I think that, yes, you know, getting kind of thrown off the the deep end, so to speak, into a big surgery, it may seem unnerving, but I don't think she would have done that unless she had, like you said, the utmost confidence in you. Yeah. I don't know how she knew that. We'd only met each other for 10 minutes, but I think she just plain <laughs> was stubborn and refused to do that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> she was the practice owner. So whatever mess happened fell on her anyway. So I think your point to a mentor is great. And I think people these days don't necessarily understand that a mentor you have to mesh. They have to understand you and what you need and you have to understand what they, what they are able to provide. Yeah. So that's a great, that's a great um, tip too. So, all right. So we get to this big thing because there's always a choice because in the cabinet, there's like a bazillion choices. There's all these boxes with sizes and needles and yeah. there are still practices. I, I know it doesn't happen there in the ivory tower for a board certified surgeon, but they do have still have suture without a swedged on needle. You know what? <laughs> See, that, that we're so swage versus <laughs> swage versus the real. Listen, I'll be, <laughs> they're I'll real. be honest. You, you, <laughs> they're real. If you've got suture on a, on a real, you know, you think, oh, Courtney, you have no idea what that's like. Fortunately, I've had some beautiful experiences doing mass, <laughs> mass suture, mass surgeries for, you know, the underserved for NGOs or something. For, yeah, exactly. For underserved communities or for the economically disenfranchised communities. And, you know, the suture will come on a reel, you know, and you, you say soaking you know, in what I think is alcohol, but it's I'm sure it's not <laughs> right. You know, it's like, whoa, we just took a step back. But you know what? You know what, Dr. Jen, those those dogs and cats, they do fine. And uh, as long as the technique is okay, the, it, having it, whether it's swaged on or a, a reel, is fine. Now, let's be, let's be clear. There's a difference. When it's on a reel, you have to make the knot yourself. And so you're pulling suture through tissue. It's more traumatic. And then you're yes. burying a lot of suture, which is something we don't like to do when we're making knots. So I don't yeah. want to go to gloss over the fact that there's some clear differences. It's slower. There's a bigger knot. It's more traumatic. But when used appropriately, they're going to be fine. Okay. 
All right. So I also want to get into this issue because for me, like the organs are the same. They just might be in somewhat different places depending on the species I'm working on. Right. And, uh, you know, I've already decided my approach because I read the book as was uh, recommended by my friend, Dr. Courtney Campbell. And so there I am and I'm picking my favorite suture and it's absorbable and I'm rolling along. I got the mass out of the, the intestine. What's the fancy word for that when you cut the intestine? Oh, it's an, an erotomy. Yep. That's right. Thanks for the doctor word. No and um, so I get the, you know, the sock or whatever the dog ate and I sew it up and at the emergency clinic, because everybody knows that's what I like to do. It was referred to me uh, because earlier in the day, they weren't quite sure that there was a foreign body, even though the dog hadn't eaten for four days, no more puking for three days and no poop for five days. They just weren't sure. So to use up five hours of the day so they could refer it to me. They did a barium series. Okay, okay. And I used a type of suture that has three initials and is my favorite because I'm very comfortable with the how it knots and lays down and you know that sort of thing. And uh, did you know barium will eat some sutures? Now, I did that happen to you? Yes. Oh boy! Sounds like you may have used polydiaxone with uh, I did. With, with barium. Now I will be completely honest. That that is an interesting phenomenon that happened to you. And I have seen some intestinal surgeries where PDS is used, and a barium series has been performed. And fortunately, they did not fall apart. But I'm sorry because they didn't. Did, they didn't did go not. into the lumen. They did. They didn't go into the lumen. <laughs> That's there right. you go. Holy I can cow. guarantee you I went into the lumen because now, I... Now, that is what I call a callback. You just took something we had talked about earlier and you brought it to the forefront. Genius. I love it. And you are dead right. I think that's yeah. exactly what may have happened, where you erred on the side of trying to get that submucosa. Unfortunately, some of the so suture it wouldn't went leak. into the... wouldn't leak. <laughs> exactly. Some of the suture went into the lumen and uh, it may have broken down. And among the things that can be the most irritating to the intestine... Uh. Barium is certainly up there among among all the things that can do that. So unfortunately, now, how did that patient do? Okay, or? Oh, no, totally did fine. Look, look, Dr. Courtney, as the Candyverse is well aware, no creature that I touch ever dies or remains ill. I touch them, and then they're cured with TBV, which is touched by vet. There you go. Cured by... <laughs> Cured, cured by Jen Chaffield. Yeah, and I'm sure you kind of cut in between the blood vessels so nothing ever bleeds or anything like that. Not well, reptiles. There, you, there you go. There no, you so, go. Yeah. Listen, I got. I think. I think my job in this is to just pull you guys out of this hole. You guys go find stuff. You go way down in this hole. I gotta pull you out. I gotta get you out. All right, here I'm doing it again. I'm tired okay. of doing this. But let's. Can we talk about the different kinds of suture? We kind of yeah, mentioned one or two. Let's do it. Let's like do it. I'll flip it on. I'll this. flip it on you. I'll flip yeah, it. Let on me you. tell you. Okay. Here we go. When I first started. We had reels. Hundred percent, right? Does cat gut or steel? That's what I had. Is there? He's more than older that? than me. That's why. Yeah. Yes. Well, okay. First, first and foremost, I think a lot of people ask, "Well, what suture material do you use? What's the difference between absorbable and non-absorbable?" Right. So Let's go there. My question is for you: If you and I, it's just a poll. I just want to take a poll from both of you. By the definition of non non-absorbable suture, if you're thinking to yourself, non-absorbable suture, is it something that? does not lose tensile strength greater than 30 days, does not lose tensile strength greater than 60 or greater than 90 days. If you had to pick 30, 60, or 90, by the definition of a non-absorbable, what would you pick? 60. I think it never loses strength. 60. 
never or never <laughs> losing streak. Right? That's the that's the fourth one exactly. Right. right? I would say the the correct answer is actually sixty days. Yeah. No, so does no. not lose, so does not lose tensile strength for greater than sixty days. Now there are non-absorbable sutures that, by definition, that actually do get absorbed. Right. And one example of that is silk that gets absorbed over two to three years. But we mm -hmm. classify that as a non-absorbable suture because it doesn't lose tensile strength for greater than 60 days. So mm -hmm. just in a very sort of crude and basic way, I can put it is if you want it to stick around for a long time or forever, of course, use non-absorbable. If you're sewing together tissue that likely heals very quickly then it's okay to use, uh, uh, you know, something that's absorbable. So uh, as an example, if you're sewing together intestine, and, and particularly small intestine, that's mm -hmm. going to really gain its strength a large, not 100%, but a large amount of its strength within the first 10 to 14 days. Yeah. And so using something like, you know, polydiaxone or polygercaprone, uh, a lot of people know them by their, their more common trade names. But if you're using something like that, then you can sew it together intestine or even bladder. Bladder heals incredibly quickly. Mm -hmm. And so some people may argue that some absorbable sutures disappear too quickly and others stick around too long. So okay, instance, that's what I was just going to ask you about. Like, are they all created equal or what's not, happening? Not here? quite. Like as an example, you brought up polydiaxone. So yeah. if you go into the lumen of the bladder using polydiaxone, yeah. there's a high likelihood that could serve as a nidus for infection or as a nidus for stone formation. So number one, if you're using polydiaxone on the bladder, uh, number one, think about a different suture, you know, think about mm -hmm polygercaprone or something that absorbs a little bit faster. So that's number one. Number two, stay out of the lumen, right? And again, it's all about submucosa. And then number three, just make sure that you're not putting in a ton of suture because what we've learned is that simple continuous inverting patterns just uh, in the bladder prevent you from having to use a simple interrupted, pick up the bladder, put yes. the needle through, and just a lot of tissue handling. So if you can minimize those three, yes. uh, those three things, then you'll, it'll work out just fine. And so, and for those of us who don't have any patience, simple interrupted is annoying. There's lots of knots. I can't make them lay down how I want. They won't listen not to me. Not pretty. Yeah, no. they're not. And I like things to be pretty when I finish right. them. Because you know what? The only thing a client sees is your suture line. Well, let's talk about it. A lot of us have been trained by some amazing surgeons, right? A lot of them are a little bit gray haired to have grizzled beards or slightly older, yeah. older people in general, guy, girl, whoever. And they were taught with certain techniques. For instance, when you're closing the linea or the abdominal wall holding layer, the linea alba, a lot of them use a simple interrupted. And what we yeah, know no, now not, is that not this girl. Okay. And what we know is that there aren't increased complications by using a simple continuous. So if you're comfortable using a continuous pattern, go ahead and use it. Some people say, well, shoot, I heard that if you use a, you know, if you're suturing, you should be able to pick the dog up off the table by how deep those sutures are in your linea alba. They don't need to be that deep. They don't oh, need goodness. to be that strong. All you need to do is just make sure that you gently oppose the tissues, make sure it's secure. You definitely don't need to do some of those, what I would describe as um, not necessarily more antiquated or ideas of suturing. You know what I mean? So like giant bites, yeah. giant bites, you know, lots of suture material. And it's, again, these people that we learn from, our mentors, fantastic surgeons, but the, mm -hmm. the techniques have evolved. Now we know better so we can do better, right? I like that. Very succinctly put. 
So you know what's also interesting about that for our um, friends in the Candyverse, the news hounds that are listening, when we're talking about a simple continuous, it looks like a whip stitch. If you okay. sew, it looks like a whip stitch. And uh, if you are thinking about a simple interrupted, that's just every stitch has a knot. Yeah, so now you, you, you know no, you, you hit it right on that. You hit it right on the head. What's interesting about a simple continuous versus a whip stitch is that a simple continuous, you are advancing your suture on every other bike. A whip stitch, you are literally advancing your suture on every bike. Does that make sense? Oh, so maybe you, we do simple continuous differently. You well, know, no, <laughs> that's fine. And you know what? It all all that matters is that if things work out well and heal well, so yes. we can go back. But I would say, and and shoot, maybe I'll I may be doing it wrong. So, but my point is, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the, my point is, you know, when I'm doing a continuous, I like to yeah. get both suits, you know, both bites on the same plane, and then I'll advance and then get you know another bite on that plane and then advance and then get another bite on the same plane and then advance. You guys, listen, hold stitch. on. Yes, go ahead. I, I really wish, listen, I'm going to interrupt. This is fantastic. I really wish the, the candy bars could, could see you right now. You are so excited to talk about this stuff. It is, he is. It is for passion. This is why I want to remind everybody this is why we're talking to you. You are fired up to talk about a, a suture pattern. It is just amazing to watch. Fired up, really ready great. to go, man. Ready That's to right. go. No, I'm kidding. That's I'm right. Kidding. But do you have, listen, so- this, is, this is probably a silly question. And, and from a non surgeon, I'm so sorry. Do you have a favorite pattern? Wait, wait, wait. Let's take a break. Okay, fine. Let's pay some bills. On the other side, Dr. Campbell is going to answer Dr. Jason Chatfield's question and tell us his favorite surgical pattern. All right, so we're going to pay some bills. We'll see you guys on the other side. Suture material is not created equal. Absorption rates, material profile, and needles all have specific indications. Selecting the proper suture can dramatically change your surgical outcomes. Smart selections, quality choices, cost savings without compromise. Choose PRN Pharmacal. Visit PRNPharmacal.com for more information. Oh, sure. It's all fun and games until someone ends up in a cone. That's right. We are animals. Deal with it. Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome back to Vet Candies and Other News, where we are talking with um, esteemed, world-renowned, and incredibly charismatic Dr. Courtney Campbell, a board-certified veterinary surgeon. And uh, Dr. Jason had a burning question. I did. I did. You ready? I'm going to ask you a different way, though. Uh, cause we oh, answer, so. what's up? So it's silly to say, do you have a favorite pattern? Because I'm, I'm going to guess you have different patterns for different kind of procedures and, and, and what, what you're actually working is on. Is that like different strokes? Yes, for different folks, for sure. Listen, right. uh, Courtney, is there, a, is there when I was in school, it was the last time I did surgery, uh, so you know, it was a long time ago, is there a pattern that you just, just have the most fun using, Ooh. right? Yeah. Not just, but the most fun, it's like just fun, right? It's like it speaks to you. Yeah, you know, kind of a fun pattern. There's actually two. There's actually two. And nobody's ever asked me this question before. Everybody asked me, okay, Courtney, what's your favorite surgery? What do you like to do? And nobody's ever asked me, what is your favorite suture pattern? Uh-huh. So listen, I, I want this to be a sort of a hallmark moment for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, it's going to be for me, yeah, for, for sure. You. 
All right. Real talk. Here we go. Our relationship will not be the same after this. Everything changes after today. So I would say that real talk, one of my favorite future patterns is afford interlocking, afford interlocking. Now, a lot of people are like, really, man, you like an equine stitch in uh, <laughs> animal medicine? And the, the reality is you do get the security of an interrupted, but yes. the speed of a continuous. And, you know, I know that there are some people, and this is, is sort of an obscure reference, but there are sort of uh, veterinary dentists who will do extractions and prefer to use afford yes. interlocking. I've certainly used afford interlocking on feline skin because I find that it's a little bit more mobile. But then I'd say the honorable mention or get second place is something called an inverted cruciate pattern, which I think most uh, either anybody who's ever had an animal or a pet who's needed surgery or anybody uh-huh. who's doing surgery closes skin with a, what's called a regular cruciate, which is right. just two bites, boom, boom, form a cross with the suture. We see it, the X. Yes, right. we see the X, and the X lays on top of the skin. Correct. An inverted cruciate oh. pattern where the X lays under the skin. Now, you might say, whoa, 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 Courtney, I thought you said you don't like putting, you try to put as little suture under the skin as possible. Yeah. An inverted cruciate pattern does that. What's the deal? Well, here's the deal. You're going to take those out in 10 days. It's not like polydiaxone where you're, right, where you're burying a whole bunch of knots underneath the skin that have to mm-hmm. get dissolved by hydrolysis. No, no, no. These, if you do this, the X underneath the skin, you get to take them out in 10 days. So that should work out just great. So and I it would looks say super slick, right? Because you just see like the horizontal line crossing the incision line and you're like magic. How's the next one there? You are very familiar. You are very familiar. I try so to I would keep say up. You try to keep up. So I'd say Ford interlocking inverted cruciate. You got it. You got it. You right. can, Hallmark you, moment you can, only on another Hallmark news. Hallmark moment. Yeah. yeah only, only, only on any other news. So my question is, uh, do you do both of those? Wait, did, uh, did he just ask us a question again on our again? podcast? The, we got to get him to read the rules of how this is supposed to work. No, but I'm, I'm happy so to answer that. I'm fascinated by both of you. I can't help it. Okay. I'm happy Go to answer, answer that because I, ha- I have a favorite pattern that I like. I do like a forward interlocking. I call it a blanket stitch because it looks like the hem, like where you put the um, the satin on the edge of a blanket that's fancy. It looks to me like that's what it looks like in the skin. But because I can't be walking around saying stuff like forward interlocking. That's just not like people will be looking at me like I had two heads, right? They do that anyway. Yeah, but, as opposed uh, <laughs> to how they always look at you. Right? But anyway, but my favorite pattern is actually an everting pattern. Interesting. You- yeah, so... Riddle me this, riddle me this, friends. And that's also because it's one of my favorite groups of animals to do surgery on because I also cheat a little bit to make my field super clean because I don't like blood in the field. It puts me in a bad light. I don't like it. I don't like to feel like I made them bleed. So you use an everting suture pattern. Does do either of you know what class of animals you use an everting suture pattern on? Let's hear. Jason, do you know? What class of animals? Yeah. That we use an everting stitch pattern on. So something that the skin needs to be everted. I have no idea. Get to it. Reptiles. Oh, I did know that actually. I mean, okay. I was yes. told that. How about let's go with, I was told that once or twice, but I couldn't recall. Yes, because, okay. It's because if you do scale to scale, right. so their skin, when you cut it and if you try to oppose it, number one, it's really tricky to oppose it. It tends to curl in. And if you sew it, so you won't get apposition, right. but if also if you not sew it, if you suture it, correct, scale to scale, it won't heal. Like you could take those stitches out and like guts will fall back out. Mm. <laughs> 
I, I shouldn't laugh. That's a bad outcome. Yeah. So you do an everting pattern so that you smash that mucosa or whatever the fancy name is for the tissue right under the skin in a reptile. You smash it together and then it'll heal. And it looks really lovely. It looks cool. Yeah. Well, um, always important. I'm also curious when we talk about cryonacolate or basically skin glue, I'm curious to know if you have seen that used on uh, reptile skin, because I believe there was a, a study looking at using skin glue with inflammation. Uh, yeah. Inflammation, mm -hmm. particularly in reptiles or like mm -hmm. ball pythons. Have yeah. you, any of you used um, skin glue with, uh, I don't with snakes or any, any reptiles? I don't, and I can't remember what that paper said, but I right, think right. actually that I'm trying to remember. I actually thought that it was either equivocal inflammation or suture was less, but I can't remember for sure. Do you remember the results of that? It can cause inflammation. You know, it's a barrier to healing and it, yeah. it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't have the holding power that of a, of a 3.0 or 2.0 that you would typically use. So I tend to veer away from skin glue in most settings. But shoot, you brought up a great point, man. When you're trying to do surgery with reptiles, then you've got to think out of the box. And so... Um, you know that you didn't ask me yet. As a surgeon, I think you would inquire, like, how do you not have blood in your field? How do I not have blood in my field? Yeah, you know, I said I really like to do surgery on that class of animals because I can oh, really, right. you know, they're not like cats, right? Cats yes. don't really bleed, right? Yes. But reptiles will bleed, right? So how do you keep blood from being in your field? This is like Ann Jen's tip for great surgery. I would just, with reptiles specifically or in general? No, reptiles. Oh, 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 you got to cool them down, right? So number one, you, <laughs> you can cool, cool them down, but already you're, cool down. you're, what? You got to cool them down. That was Courtney's answer. You got to cool them down. <laughs> Your surgical suite should already be cool, like cooler than usual because you want to like do that so you don't have germs and stuff. But already like reptiles are already contaminated, right? We already know they have salmonella and stuff in the salomic cavity, which is their belly. So who cares? But I try to put an ice pack between my surgical field and the heart. Oh, <laughs> wow. Because it shouldn't be there very long. Don't kill me on the internet for that because it shouldn't be there for a very long time. But anyway, so yeah, so oh, I got to look so, that up. Yeah. So there we have it. One more very quick question for Dr. Courtney Campbell. And I know you can answer it in 10 seconds or less. When is the time to refer to a surgeon, like a boarded surgeon? When am can I, I going to refer to a Can I answer this question? You, all you, man. Okay. Every time. Okay. You, you go ahead and you go ahead and answer it, Courtney. <laughs> every time. No, for real. Anytime you don't feel comfortable. You know, no, I did have, I did get a call about a, a young pit bull who unfortunately had a urethral obstruction and couldn't pee. And I was speaking to a, a, just a really talented vet and the vet said to me, you know, the owner's having trouble, you know, as far as deciding, should she go see a surgeon and, and, and whatnot? And I was thinking about going ahead and doing, uh, making a new opening to the urethra, which is called the urethrostomy. She says, I've never done one before, but I saw it in a book and I can just go ahead and do that. And I just thought to myself, man, you know, all the urethrostomies that I've done, this takes a high level of technical expertise. I'm sure yeah. there's people out there who have just done them once off the book and it turned out Oof. great. And I say kudos to you. But if those are the types of situations that are extremely obvious, if you've never done one before and you just are going to dive in, I would say be very, very careful referring those situations. And mm -hmm. the other option is if there's a, if there's an option, if there's an option for a boarded surgeon, I do believe that, you know, the standard of care is to at least discuss that. You got to offer yeah. it, right? You got to yeah. at least offer it. Make sure that you make a record of it. And if it's, you know, if it's uh, with your conversation with them, 
you know, and you two come to some meeting of the mind and they say, I would like to, you know, decline that option. That's fine. But I'd say when to refer to a surgeon anytime you feel uncomfortable and shoot, we, let us feel uncomfortable. That's every too, surgery for some yeah, people. Yeah. Pretty much I answered that already. There you go. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been wonderful talking about one of the most anxiety producing things we have to do as veterinarians and we do it every day. And it shouldn't be. But it is for a lot of people. And uh, this has just been wonderful. You gave us some tips, especially for those new grads who are wondering how to get comfortable. We appreciate that. We talked all about suture, what to use when, the fact that there are different degrees of absorbable suture. So you got to pick the right one for your procedure. You know, like, what is it, short, intermediate, and long, I think, for absorptive? Yeah, we can just say, we keep it super simple. Absorbable versus non-absorbable. Just okay. like that. There are different times for sure, but I like yeah. the way you put it, which is like, make sure you pick the right suture for the job. Yes, exactly. And uh, and also then when to not only phone the friend, but phone the friend to let them know that you're sending the patient over for surgery, right? <laughs> Give us a call. Yeah. Give us a call. That's right. So once again, um, thank you so very much, Dr. Courtney Campbell, for joining us. We so much appreciate your, your calm wisdom. Oh, man. I tried to be calm, but, the, you know, Dr. Jason, man, he got me out of it. He ruffled my feathers, man. I had to come out. So yeah. no, <laughs> seriously, it's, no, I'm, I'm totally kidding. You guys are fantastic. And it was awesome being a part of your podcast. I hope we get to do round two, round three about uh, just suture and our experiences. And we'll go back and forth because this is a conversation I think it's really important to have. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So did you hear that, Jason? He's going to interview us again. Again, he's going to interview us on our podcast. That's right. On our podcast. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. This has been another episode of Vic Candies in Other News. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.